0: Or two of Mornings with Carmen on the twelfth of January, twenty twenty-one. Um, I'm putting that date marker on this show uh, because things in the culture are changing so rapidly, uh, and the things that we are talking about each day are relevant to the headlines uh, the day thereof. And so, um, I want to just just put that marker in the ground today. Um, And many, many people listen to this program as a podcast. And so uh, it's helpful for some of them to know, you know, when, when, what day was that uh, that Carmen said that? There you go. Um, I have had a number of conversations in the past 24, 48, 72 hours about just how sad people are, Um, the, the revulsion at what took place in Washington, D.C. on the 6th of January, um, has, and the anger that people have had and the questions that people have had, um, as more and more facts have come forth and more and more uh, video and photographic evidence uh, has been produced and more and more people are being held accountable, and frankly, more and more people are dying. I know that you uh, you have heard that Capitol Police officers have now been arrested and others um, uh, suspended for events related to that day. Um, but a Capitol Police officer also took his own life over the weekend. Um, and uh, and so some of those storylines are, that are going to come out of this um, are very, very likely to be incredibly uh, painful and tragic. As anger um, has yielded to sadness, one of the conversations that I have had um, increasingly, frequently, is a conversation about grief. People are grieving and I want to remind everybody that grief is a process, and that uh, anger is a part of that process. Comes early, ordinarily. Bargaining is a part of that process. So, for those of you who are still um, texting me, well, what about this and yeah, but that and uh, the the hoozy and the so and so's? Um, that's bargaining, um, and I get it. Um, others have reached the point of depression. Uh, also articulated just as a deep sadness. Others have already arrived at the point of acceptance and looking for, um, you know, how do we deal with the facts as we know them, as we have them, the facts as they unfold, um, and how do we bring justice to bear in order that there might be uh, a restitution not only of peace, but a reconstruction of our life together? Because it it has been, in no small measure, um, destroyed. So let me encourage public prayers of repentance and responsibility. Um, those who were wrong need to say so. Um, those who misled others need to admit as much. Um, there's there's no sin in confessing that we were wrong. And, and so I want you to be mindful of that. Um, if in your own social media, in your own conversations, at some point in your own um, Public advocacy—you have advocated for something that you now know to not be true. Um, it's okay to say I was wrong about that. I was I was wrong about that, um, and to move forward in responsibility. In our private conversations, um, I encourage each and every one of us to recognize that grief is a process, and that the person with whom you are conversing is very likely at a different place in the process than you are. So recognize that you are somewhere in the grief process related to what's happening in the nation. And recognize that whoever it is that you're talking with is also somewhere in the grief process, but very likely at a different place than you are. They may still be angry. They may still be bargaining. They may be depressed. They may have reached the point of acceptance. Um, So let's all spend some time being gracious and merciful with one another, recognizing that facts matter, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help us, God, as bad as that might be. The president has approved an emergency declaration for Washington, D.C. ahead of the inauguration of Joe Biden on the 20th of January. The FBI is warning of armed protest planned before, during and after the inauguration. Capital cities across the country are preparing and the president is uh, headed today to make a speech in Alamo, Texas. No, not the Alamo in San Antonio, but a town called Alamo on the Mexican border. Justin Gibney joins me next from the AND campaign. We're just going to talk about all of it. That's up next, you're on Mornings with Carmen. Giboney from the AND Campaign. You can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin E. Giboney. You can follow the AND Campaign at AND Campaign. Welcome back, Justin.
1: Hey, Carmen. Thanks for having me as always.
0: Um, absolutely, certainly. It's my pleasure. Um, how did you experience the events of January the 6th? And, and how are you experiencing them?
1: You know, way it, At first, it was just disbelief. Uh, it was just hard to uh, reconcile that this was all happening. Um, you know, even though I, I do think to a certain extent it was it was foreseeable that this was building up and that uh, it was preventable. Uh, it was just hard to, to to deal with the reality that this was happening uh, at that moment. And so uh, immediately it was a sense of, of grief uh, to see. Uh, signs with uh, that said Jesus on them and other things representing my faith that would have that should have nothing to do with what was going on that day was really disappointing. I mean there was anger and there's still frustration because as I said before Carmen this was preventable. Uh there were people who knew better who could have put a stop to where this was going and they did not because they were seeking their own power. Uh and and so really it's just been a, a lot of disappointment but 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 now a focus on trying to get this right, trying to make sure that the church reckons with what happens, with what happened, and moves forward in, in a healthy way. And that's not going to be an easy process.
0: No, it's not going to be an easy process. It's going to require uh, public repentance on the part of some. Um, I think the word reckoning is a good one. Um, and reckoning requires a recognition uh, of mm-hmm. of errors in judgment and uh, and things that ought not have been said, or at least not said the way they were said because of the way other people process those words or that um, uh, or that information. Um, who are you uh, listening to and reading that you're just you're appreciating in terms of their public response to um, to what 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 has happened and what is happening?
1: And one of the best articles I've read in a long time came from Dr. Esau Macaulay, uh, who wrote in uh, Religion News Service uh, about how power has played a part in Christian politics and how it got us, how it brought us to this point and how this is a moment for truth. It's not a moment to defer to power. It's a moment to defer to truth. So Dr. Esau McCauley has been huge. Uh, I know you pr- pr- probably saw what Dr. Uh, Russell Moore wrote, uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was very courageous uh, to say that we need to, we need to take account we need to be held accountable, and we need to call this out. Uh, and he did so, and in a way that I think a lot of people can learn from, especially leaders, uh, especially those leaders, I should say, who at any point uh, publicly endorse Trump, I think they need to publicly speak on on this in a way that is not uh, has has no equivocation.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I would uh, I, I would um, I would echo both of those on um, both excellent pieces. Um, you're an attorney. I want to I want you to imagine for a moment that you are called to uh, defend um, one of these, maybe the very high profile people who, you know, whose uh, participation and and leadership in the events of January the 6th cannot be denied. Um, So take, you know, I don't know, take the guy in the Viking helmet and and what uh, imaginable defense could such an individual offer in a court of law?
1: Ooh, that's tough. That's that's a tough question. I, I think for, for 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 that, and man, I, and I don't say this in jest at all. I think what we would call mens rea, uh, mental state, uh, might be the only defense that's there. Uh, that there was a mental state that, that, that put you in that situation, that you know that brought you to that situation. I mean, the acts were clear. The acts have been uh, recorded. Uh, they've been photographed. And so there's no denying who was there and that they were there and, and what had happened. You can only point to a, a kind of a mental state. Uh, and and I, I, again, I don't say that in jest, but if I'm really trying to defend somebody, that's the only thing that you may be able to lean on. But a lot of these acts were almost in, indefensible. Uh, everybody de- deserves to be uh, judged impartially, but it makes for a very tough case if, if, if uh, you're trying to defend that.
0: Yeah and I just I wanted to ask that question because I do think that we have to be mindful that that's also part of how our system works. These people will uh, get their day in court. Um, I think there, there's been a lot of emphasis on um, uh, you know people uh, ex- experiencing the full extent of the law. Um, but part of that in the United States of America is going to be, you know, somebody's going to robustly defend them and they're entitled to that. And so I, I just want, I want all of us to be mindful as we're listening and as we're considering the future. Um, you know, people are going to get, uh, they're going to get a fair hearing and, and that's important to recognize in the way that our system works and is pretty unique uh, and pretty unique uh, around the world. All right, Justin Gibney and I are going to return to this conversation in just a moment. We're going to look forward. To next week and beyond, um, a Biden presidency uh, is uh, is literally on the horizon. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Attorney Justin Gibney. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia. He serves with an organization called the And Campaign. You can find them at And Campaign uh, online. Um, Justin, let's uh, let's talk about looking ahead um, to next week and beyond. Uh, I mean, sadly, I mean, one of the things that I have to address is uh, is the fact that uh, the FBI has raised concerns about further violence from a radicalized fringe of Americans, who I will now describe as having become domestic terrorists, uh, who are planning um, mayhem across the country in, in all 50 capitals as a part of uh, the transition from the Trump to a Biden administration. Um, I just think that people need to recognize there's going to be a transition. Biden is going to be the president of the United States, um, and so let's let's talk about who you find most interesting among president the the president elects nominees.
1: Ooh, good question. Um, I think you know you have uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg um, playing a significant role, and so it's going to be interesting to see how he grows in that. Uh, I think Yellen. Is, is, is a choice that uh, a lot of people could see, but she's going to play a very important role in this economy, and we really need to watch how that goes. And then anybody who's dealing with COVID, I mean, we have to keep an eye on that team that's going to be dealing with this COVID response because they're in, you know, that's probably the number one uh, priority of this administration coming in. And the way they deal with that is going to have an impact on everything else, whether it's the economy, whether it's education and so on. And so I'll really be watching that group uh, to make sure, you know, and, and this is very important. They have to they have to make the right decisions based on a lot of different factors, science obviously being one of those, and really move away from the partisanship. I think too many decisions on a national and local level have been made based on either not being like Trump or making sure you're on the right side when it comes to what what one party is saying or the other. These decisions need to be made with sound judgment and for the better of the people, and I'm I'm really hoping that they are able to do that
0: um I, I concur um I really appreciated uh interviews I heard yesterday with uh, Joe Manchin about um you know prospects of uh of working across the aisle um because both the House and the senate have uh have you know s- such a balance in them now um you know the, there may be uh, one party that has um, uh that has a majority over the other, which is true. But um, both of those in both houses in both uh, houses of Congress are slim, and and that does encourage people to work together across the aisle on all kinds of things. So, hey, I want to talk with you about optics related to the president's uh, trip today to a tiny little town called Alamo, Texas. Um, he's not actually going to the Alamo, which is in San Antonio. Um, he is going to a little town called Alamo, Texas. But I gotta say that when I hear the word Alamo, what comes to mind? Um, is a very bloody last stand that took place um, you know at the Alamo in in eighteen thirty six so I don't know what do you make of uh, of the optics of going to a place called Alamo um, w- when we're in the state that we're in as a nation?
1: Well, this is why exactly why the president needs to be removed from office. Uh, the time for these type of symbolic acts that the the time for allowing him to maintain this bully pulpit to get his um his his uh uh expressions out is over. And and it needs to end now. Uh the, the idea that you would go to the Alamo when we have five people that were just uh that just died at the US Capitol. You just mentioned someone else just uh committed suicide. We don't have time for that. This is this isn't the time. And, and it just shows that the lesson hasn't been learned. The lesson isn't going to be learned at, at this moment. And there's no excuse for not removing him from, from office. And this just just goes to, to prove that.
0: Well, that process is uh, is certainly underway um, by the House of Representatives. Um, we talked a little bit earlier uh, this morning with um Mark Caleb Smith, just about you know that process that would be required uh, for uh, for a second impeachment and then actually for uh, for removal from office um, it could it could certainly happen much more quickly through the execution of the twenty fifth amendment but I find that highly unlikely at this point just in terms of who 's left in the cabinet okay. um, um, What else is on your radar justin what what do you want to talk about uh, just in terms of Uh, encouraging the conversations being had in the nation today?
1: Yeah, I I just want to focus in on the church. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. we have to make sure that the lesson from this is learned. You and I talk about unity and reconciliation all the time, and I know we both have a heart for that, and I especially have a heart for that in this conversation. But we have to, as we said before, have a reckoning. We have to come into this understanding that we need to have a real sense of humility and that there needs to be accountability not necessarily judgment. Some people have called it judgment. No, I'm talking about accountability. Luke uh, 17 says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Uh, And we need to go through a real orderly process in making sure that we learn the lessons. And I think part of those lessons have to be that civic religion is idolatry, Uh, that our public witness is more important than the pursuit of power and Christian Um, You know, Christian politics can no longer be the politics of Christian self-interest. We cannot just ride along to get what we want. Because the truth of the matter is, uh, Carmen, that many of the issues that we were afraid that progressives would push forward, now those issues have more strength than ever and may have less resistance than ever because the church has lost uh, some of its credibility.
0: Yeah, I am, uh, I am particularly hopeful, Justin, that the things that uh, you and I have each and both been talking about over the course of time, that to be a Christian um, is not to be overly identified as red or blue. Um, Christians need, need to be, must be engaged in the public discourse of our generation. Um, we must be bringing uh, the, the things of the faith to bear um, on what is happening in the world, because that's, that's how the gospel is actually designed to work. Um, but but we have definitely allowed uh, the Christian witness to be co-opted. I mean, it, it. You can see it in the pictures. You can see it in the pictures of what took place on January the sixth. Um, the name of Jesus and the witness of the church uh, has been co-opted by uh, by people who are using it in ways that absolutely are not aligned with the gospel. That uh, yeah. So Jesus would not have been doing that. And if Jesus would not have been doing it, then we, uh, we must call it out for what it is, which is absolutely anti-Christ. It is anti to the witness of Christ in the world today. I am with you. I get it. Um, we will keep saying it. We will encourage others to see it and say it as well. Um, thank you for your partnership in the gospel to this point, and thank you for um, your patience, your resilience, your leadership as we move forward from this point.
1: Thank you, Carmen. You take care now.
0: You too. Blessings. That's Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, we talk frequently about reading the Bible. I ask you almost every day, where in the Word are you today? Who, If you haven't been to Ephesians chapter 6... Recently, Um, let me encourage. Let me encourage that as a a place to be in the Word of God today. Next up, I'm going to talk with uh, Dan Kemble. He's a pastor. He's an author. The book is How Not to Read the Bible. Uh, And yeah, I've got uh, I've got copies available for you, so you can you know the drill. You know the drill. If as you're listening, you're interested uh, in entering the drawing for how not to read the Bible, making sense of the anti-woman, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy-sounding parts of Scripture by Dan Kimball. You just text the word book to 877-933-2484. My conversation with Dan Kimball up next.
2: This is Max Locato. Perhaps you don't need your hope restored right now. Your jungle has become a meadow, your journey a delight. If such is the case, congratulations. But remember, we do not know what tomorrow holds. You may be one turn from a cemetery, from a virus, from an empty house. You may be a bend in the road from a jungle. And though you don't need your hope restored today, you may tomorrow. And you need to know to whom to turn. Or perhaps you do need hope today. You know you were not made for this place. You know you are not equipped. You want someone to lead you out. If so, put your trust in the shepherd. He knows the path that leads to your new beginning. And he's just waiting for you to join him. This is Max Locato.
0: It's a pleasure to welcome Dan Kimball to the program. The book we're going to be talking about today is How Not to Read the Bible, making sense of the anti-woman, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy sounding parts of scripture. You can find Dan at dankimball, K-I-M-B-A-L-L dot com. Dan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Thank you, and welcome to the Santa Cruz, California nice weather today where I'm speaking from.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, Yeah, people just instantly now jealous of you. That's okay. Um, Let's start with the sense of urgency that provoked you to write this book. Ta- talk about, you know, what God has been tilling in the soil of your heart that produced this book.
3: Yeah, this, I have served with youth ministry for many years, then young adult ministry for many years, and then planted a church, and uh, very connected to the university here, and I say this without like hyperbole or uh if if you're to know me, I'm not an alarmist, but I will say this very strongly. I don't think we're in a time period that is more concerning to uh younger generations in particular with theology and understanding the Bible and questioning things which is good, but starting to like leave faith over what's in the Bible and it's an urgent situation, and that's why in this book I ended up addressing some of the primary things that are coming up regularly from younger generations about what they're struggling with, which is inside the Bible.
0: So, Dan, we have, you know, a lot of people listening right now who are going to say to themselves, wow, I'm really troubled by a lot of the stuff that I read in the Bible, Um, and I note that in in worship or in Bible study, oftentimes we just skip over the hard parts, but those questions are there for a lot of people— Talk about the the subject matter that you are directly addressing, because I think that um, it's going to raise people's eyebrows to, to recognize, hey, this is a book that's actually taking on the parts of Scripture that have long concerned me.
3: Yeah, and it's um, these things have always been in the Bible. So this isn't like it's new things that are suddenly being discovered, but they're being discovered by so many people where I think in churches we've covered a lot of the nicer stories, the happier ending things, the... You know, the positive things, which are so important, but sort of surfaced, studied, or kind of skimmed the more difficult things, such as reading blatant verses like in 1 Samuel 15, where God specifically, like this, there's no way of arguing around this. He commands people to be put to death, women, children, and infants. How do we make sense of that? What about there's a psalm that talks about. It's good to kill infants uh, and throw them against rocks. How do we explain that? Exodus talks about selling your daughter into slavery, like commands about it and guidance of how to do it. Purchasing slaves, strange verses about not eating shrimp or pork or wearing fabrics of two different kinds. Like uh, there's verses that uh, that you'll see online about unicorns in the Bible, and it's throwing people off guard. How do we respond to these in a Me Too world, which is healthy to always be looking at the evils of abuse? But then there's Bible verses that actually will say, and you're probably very familiar with them, you know, just about like women be silent, submit, do not speak up in the church. You must remain silent and then go home and ask your husband the questions. You'll read verses like this. Now, people are seeing these. In memes uh, on the internet, the activist atheist groups, you know, not all atheists do this, but the activist ones rent billboards, with put these verses up for people to see. So there's becoming an awareness of these verses to the general public and younger people in their questioning years are seeing them, and it's throwing a lot of people off guard that causes mistrust in the Bible.
0: So if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, wow, um, this is a book that I really need because these are questions that not only have I asked, but my young, my students, my uh, my kids, my grandkids are asking and I don't know how to answer them. We've got copies to give away. So go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll enter you into the drawing of the copies that we have from Zondervan and thank them for that. So Dan, when we encounter people who raise up portions of Scripture that, you know, they're doing it because they are trying to attack the faith or attack people of faith. And it has the effect of um, of having the believer become either defensive or feel absolutely ill-equipped to answer. And, and so what you're trying to do in this book, and again, the book is how not to read the Bible. Um, it's going to help us make sense of Really, frankly, the crazy sounding parts of scripture. What you're trying to do is equip the believer not only to know what's in the Bible, but how to read it. There's a difference in just knowing that it's in there and actually understanding how to read it. Talk about that.
3: Yeah, well, I think what has happened in so many churches, uh, I've been guilty of it in the past as well, is we will teach the text and scriptures and I met with a young guy that was raised in a church, and this this is what's different than year, generations past. I've been in ministry long enough to see the cycles of different things. There is always stylistic differences. There's always going to be a disconnect to music or preaching style, or, or the, you know, or cultural differences that happen with each generation. What's going on now is that a lot of churches have caught up. We're relevant. There's good preaching, good music. And what's happening is now it's not those things which are causing the disconnect. It is what is in the Bible. So you're seeing a young guy that I met with. This is multiple stories like this. And he was raised in a church, had a great youth group experience, served as a volunteer, got to college. Uh, he was in a um, in an inner varsity manuscript study through the book of Exodus. And then he starts reading about slavery, like commands about slavery. And he asked the question— what does uh I, I was taught, and of course, that when Herod killed the two-year-old and unders in Bethlehem, that was an evil thing. But now I'm seeing God doing it in Exodus. I never thought that I never thought about it. Why is it okay for God to do that? But Herod, it's evil. And as he's starting to question one thing, then you go online, and then all of a sudden you'll find like there's a website called evilbible.com, and he found that website, and then there's hundreds of verses like this. So this is what's going on and of course it's going to catch people off guard if they have not yet studied those verses or really paused to think of what does it mean when it says women be silent in the churches so what's behind this in my opinion is that a lot of us didn't teach good bible study methods to people we taught you know we taught sermons very practical how to sermons really helpful things told a lot of the stories but we then have to understand what is this thing called the Bible? And I could go on and on, (laughs) this a long time, but I I identify four quick things is that the Bible, when we start seeing the Bible as a library and not a single book, and we start looking at it like that, when we look at the Bible that is written for us, but not to us, which means we have to look at context and culture and who it was written to originally and what they were going through, not our questions of our day. We never read a Bible verse in isolation. And we always look at the Bible as a storyline pointing to Jesus, then a lot of these difficult, disturbing Bible verses start falling into place easier when you see it in the whole Bible story.
0: Yeah, that's so great. We're going to come back to that. We're going to review that list in just a moment. I'm talking with Dan Kimball. We've got to take a very brief break, and we'll be right back. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome Dan Kimball to the program. The book we're going to be talking about today is How Not to Read the Bible, making sense of the anti-woman, anti-science pro All right, continuing my conversation with Dan Kimball, we are talking about his new book, How Not to Read the Bible. And yes, I've got copies to give away. If you are interested in entering the drawing, go ahead and text the word book to 877 933 84. Um, Dan, just before the break, you covered the these four really, I think, critical, recognizable best practices for those of us who have been studying Scripture for a long time, but they're not practices that a lot of people are familiar with. So let's review them. The Bible is a library, not a book. Explain that.
3: Yeah. Well, when we hold up the Bible, we're used to it in a single volume book, you know, just like we would read through any textbook or or something. But we have to always remember, it is a library of books written over 1500 years in three different languages, written by over 40 different authors in so many different cultural contexts. And the genre is very important. So of course, when you're looking at something that's in the scripture, who was it written to originally? What was its purpose? And when we start looking at this, we realize you don't look at a history book and try to get poetry from it. You don't look at a poetry book and try to get history from it. So when we start realizing we're walking into a library, whenever I open my Bible, I I imagine I'm walking into a library and there on the left are history books and law books and poetry books and different genres. So that as I'm selecting a book off the shelf, I am then able to look at it more deeply and understand the original intent of that book to who God was writing it through the Spirit to originally, and then apply it to myself. I don't. I shouldn't just jump to the ap- self-application and say mm-hmm. everything is reading it like that. So that's why it is a library, and if we don't understand that, that's a major miss in basic Bible interpretation.
0: Yeah, and then I want to jump to the fourth sort of best practice um, The in terms of how we do this. Talk about the Bible— as a library, that all really is one storyline. It's not just piecemeal. There is an overarching narrative to the whole thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I can't stress that enough. I believe if Christians who believe in the, the inspired—actually, non-Christians too—if they believe, if they read the Bible as a story, not a fictional story, it's truth, I'm talking about a storyline uh, then when you piece something out of the first five books of Genesis or the first three chapters of Genesis, you're piecing it in the whole story. You're not dissecting it through our modern analytical lens to then try to make sense of something and then come to very erroneous com- conclusions uh, because of that. Uh, for instance, if you were to read, you know, this is easy, um, post, uh, post-church, post Holy Spirit David was saying the Holy Spirit could come and go. You know, please don't take the Holy Spirit from me as a worshiper. And then in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is in all believers, indwelling in us. That's two different time periods, two different ways of looking at—you have to know where in the story you are. Pre-Jesus on the cross and resurrection, are uh, they had sacrifices that they were doing in the temple. So you read that part of the story, that's entirely different than post-resurrection— uh, Jesus, where the sacrifice has been made for all of us, uh, what He did on the cross, so um you have to know the storyline, and then when you piece these crazy uh some are very um evil sounding even bible verses that surf at, at first glance, they then make sense when you understand the whole storyline and how it fits in it
0: um why is there a bowling pin on the cover
3: oh oh you're talking about my, on my website
0: on your website. Think, yeah. Cause I'm yeah. looking oh. at donkimble.com, dankimble.com. Dan I want people to go yeah. there. I want you to check it out. Um, okay. So sit, you've got all of the books sitting there, which it's a really cool cover. Um, but then there's a bowling pin. I need to know. I, this is the oh, inquiring um, minds. Need I grew to know up question.
3: in Paramus, New Jersey. My dad was a bowler twice a week. Um, uh-huh. I'm looking at one of his bowling pins on my shelf here in California right now. So I grew up in bowling culture and it's also a communal sport that you can play together. Uh-huh. And I just find it as a culturally interesting thing. And that's why it's there
0: for okay, exactly think, that reason. Yeah, we might need a bowling culture conversation. I yes. bet there's a whole bowling culture conversation we're not having. I'm talking with Dan Kemble. You can find all kinds of great resources, including the one we're discussing today, How Not to Read the Bible. Uh, you can find them at his website, dankimball.com com. I do have copies of How Not to Read the Bible to give away from Zondervan. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing uh, for those. Dan, one last question before we let you go. You've got kids that are high school age-ish?
3: Yes. They just graduated high school.
0: Okay. So when you think about them and you think about the world, you think about the culture that they're moving into as young adults. I'm going to give you two words to respond to, hope and fear.
3: Yep. The hope is the scriptures are the, the living word of God, faithful, trustworthy. Jesus knew every bit of the weird parts of the Old Testament that we don't understand, and Jesus saw it as a as the scriptures. You know, he quoted it all the time and, and used it and believed in the scriptures. So the hope is there are responses to these difficult questions. Absolutely, or else I wouldn't stay in the faith personally. And so there's so much hope. The the fear is that we don't teach uh, college age youth, going even down to children, some basic Bible study methods and give some of these examples, you know, about how do you deal with when the Bible does say kill women and children. Um, what about the slavery passages? What about the very anti-women sounding passages? The, the you know, talking snakes. I mean, all of these type of things we i real the the fear is that we don't um at least give some teaching and examples earlier on in their lives so that when they will read the crazy sounding things they won't be caught off guard about it they won't use it right during their questioning time period which is very good um and when they start seeing it see that the differences with internet uh with memes and and you know and tweets with little graphics and pinterest is filled with this when they start seeing these things these Bible, mm-hmm. you know, a Bible verse that that from the New Testament, not just the Old Testament that talks about obey your masters, slaves, you know, and then a very graphic image. If they see that image and say that's in the Bible mm-hmm. and they start seeing Antoine verses, all well, it catches them off guard right in that those wonderful years of questioning. And I did talk to one guy that he went to his parents and his parents kind of just said, I don't know, somebody must figure it out. And that was very important to him because he said, my parents who I have trusted, maybe they don't really know what they believe. They love me and he was cared for, but it starts undermining, you know, the belief in things. And so I would so encourage, uh, you know, church leaders, parents, grandparents to start just you don't have to become an expert, but just know some of the basics. So when these come up, it's not a shock. And that is great hope to the fear. The fear is that they never hear about it and start catching people off guard like like it is. I mean, there's so many of these deconstruction stories happening now. Mm-hmm. And and there's always something else behind it, I'm sure. But you'll see these very Bible verses being used in the deconstruction stories. Well, I started realizing I, I couldn't believe in a God who killed infants. I couldn't believe in a God who demeans women so much and tells them to be silent and submit. I can't believe in a God who creates talking snakes and talking donkeys, that doesn't make any sense today. I can't believe in a God that says, don't eat shrimp and these silly things, I'm embarrassed about it. And I'm telling you, there are reasonable answers and God is trustworthy, the scriptures are trustworthy, we can have confidence in it, we just have to do our homework a little more in the age that we're facing today. We got music figured out, we got great music, we got smoke machines, we got lights, we got good parking (laughs) lots now. We but we have to be we have good felt need teaching. We gotta we restore the to
0: Bible to its rightful younger. place.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah absolutely. And, and the original meaning and the text absolutely. and teaching how to study it. So that's
0: You're singing my, our that's song and we yeah, and we love it. All right. So that's Dan Kemble. The book is How Not to Read the Bible, the subhead, making sense of the anti woman, anti science, pro violence, pro slavery, and other crazy sounding parts of scripture. Um, he even addresses the issue of polyester. So this is important. Um, uh, Dan, what a joy to talk with you. I feel like we could do an entire uh, another segment with Becky on how and why she has allowed you to set up drums in the living room, but that is going to have to wait for another time.
3: Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in proclaiming truth. It's needed all the more today. So thank you for the ministry that you have in your faithfulness to the truth of Scripture.
0: Mm, thanks, Dan. That's Dan Kimball. You can find him at dankimball.com. We'll be right back. All right, there's a number of things happening uh, across the world and within the church. There are uh, a number of resources to which you might turn in terms of news related to that. Religion News is one of those. Another one of my favorites, um, for those of us who are in mainline Christian churches and or formerly mainline uh, in, and are interested in what is happening there, um, there's a website called Juicy Ecumenism. I know. Sounds crazy. It's at the Institute on Religion and Democracy's blog. It's called com. They have a piece posted today um, on what is happening in the Episcopal Diocese of North Dakota. Um, and um, uh, it looks like that particular Episcopal Diocese will now be enacting same-sex marriage rights following the announcement of a change in leadership there. That might be a surprising place to uh, to see such a headline and to um, and to see the Continued uh, forward movement of the sexual revolution within mainline Christianity. Um, But there you go. There is such a headline today. Hey, uh, how then uh, should we think about these things? Let us be people who think first of the Word of God as we walk our faith out into the world that God so loves. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play music app.